WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. WNYC Studios is supported by Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. Their scientists played a substantial role in developing more than half the drugs approved by the FDA in the last five years. At Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, what we do here changes lives everywhere. Find out more at DanaFarber.org slash everywhere. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright. In September, a young woman in Iran named Masa Amini was killed by the Iranian government's morality police after she was detained because some of her hair was showing from under her hijab. Masa was 22 years old. Her death has triggered waves of protest often met by violence from the government. One human rights group estimates the death toll has reached over 130 people. These protests, often led by women, have surged in size and scope. They are now happening all around the world and around the United States. With this moment affecting so many Iranian-Americans, we wanted to make space to talk about what's happened, what's happening, and why it matters. To help me do that, I'm joined by our senior digital producer, Kusha Navadar. Kusha? Hey, Kai. So, Kusha, you were actually born in Iran, right? Yeah, I was born at the end of the Iran-Iraq War, and my family came to New York after. And, you know, coming to America in a moment of crisis, there's trauma around that. So I've been thinking about what people are experiencing there and here. Right. And so what's coming up for you right now? Uh the first thing I keep thinking when I watch is, how can I be useful? Which I think is a pretty universal feeling. Right. But then there's a question that comes up, one that I think is a little more specific. It's, how do you meaningfully participate in a movement when you're so far away? A lot of Iranian-Americans watching the protests right now are probably grappling with their own set of feelings, fears, frustrations as a result of that distance. So we're hoping this show can be a service. And so how are we doing that? So for the past week, we've invited Iranian-Americans across the country to send our show voice memos responding to this question. How does it feel to witness the demonstrations in Iran from so far away? Kaip, listen, we got a ton of responses to this. Yeah. They're still coming in. So I just want to dive right in. Here's one. Hi, I'm Layla, and I'm from Washington, D.C. So over the past few weeks, I've felt so many different emotions ranging from sadness to helplessness to fear to heartbreak to anger and rage. And now I'm just determined and quite hopeful, honestly. My dad experienced this with the first revolution in 1979. And so I just can't even imagine what you know, people's parents and grandparents, everything that they've been through. It's just really hard to watch and really hard to know um, everything that has been going on under this regime for the past 43 years. And as an Iranian living in America, I have so much gratitude and appreciation, but I also have this degree of guilt, like, 
you know, being tied to this, but also being so far and being so safe in America, a place where I've never had to fight for my basic human rights. Something seems different this time. There's been protests in the past. There's been talks of another revolution, but something seems different this time. I've heard it from family there. There's something different in the eyes of the Iranian people that are fighting for their lives in Iran. And I have hope. I'm determined to not give up. I'm going to protests. I'm doing everything I can to spread awareness using my platform. There is hope if we can keep this momentum alive. A lot to unpack there. We found someone to help us talk through these messages and put them into context. Let me welcome to the show Narges Bajogli. Narges is the assistant professor of Middle East Studies at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Narges, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So, Narges, listening to that first voice message, I heard feelings of guilt, of this movement feeling different than before. What came up for you, and have you witnessed anything like the response we heard? Yeah, so I think the the feeling of uh, of being angry, of um, feeling enraged, and then at the same time also, and you know, Layla mentioned this in her voice note, um, having hope and having that hope with determination sort of define this moment despite the the anger and despite the the rage that it also brings along with it. Um, the the question about the momentum i think one of the things for for both uh, all of for all of us sort of going through this at this moment is thinking about how momentum for something like this which is both a fight against oppressive state laws as well as a wider a wider culture of patriarchy um that's something that that will need momentum into the long term. So I think one of the things that we're all having to to figure out now is how to sustain this moment and also how to think about how this moment sustains into the future, because this is not a fight that gets won in a couple of weeks. It's a fight that it will take time because as we see the Islamic Republic in Iran is repressive and fights back repressively. But also these are against broader um broader questions of patriarchal control. And this is one of the things that we're seeing a lot from young girls and young women in Iran on the streets is chanting about um, the state's laws and chanting women life freedom, but also then chanting and, and talking about how it may not always be the morality police on the street, but the morality police may exist at the home too and in, in the name of father or mother. So these are really deep questions that Iranian women and young people are battling with on the front lines today. And, and these are questions that if we're hopeful that this will eventually come to push things, um, uh, the, the, it's a long haul movement, right? And so it's, it's one of those things that I hear the listener very clearly in, in wanting to be determined to keep going, but also we need to develop strategies for this to be a longer term fight. And does it feel different to you at this moment than it might have in, in years past? Yeah, it definitely feels different because for a few reasons. One is that this is very much the continuation of a very long struggle that Iranians have had for different forms of freedom in their history. And this, you know, Leila talked about that, like with for her parents and grandparents. And this is something that I think intergenerationally many of us are 
are coping with right now. And, and all of our different family members sort of have memories of, of rising up and struggle in Iran mm. for different reasons. But what, what I think is different here is that it's the first time that uh, women's issues are taking complete center stage and that men uh, and boys are coming, are, are fighting alongside women for these issues. And it's the 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 acknowledgement that there is no such thing as political freedom if women and folks who are queer cannot determine for themselves how to have control over their bodies. Um, so that feels very different. And the fact that uh, women and young people in Iran are saying it's enough and we will no longer comply. I think the thing that makes this, it's the level of uh, of determination that we see on the street and the fact that it's given birth to a very, very um, potent form of civil disobedience um, that is, you know, the, 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 the symbol of resistance today in Iran is an everyday symbol. It's the symbol of the hijab, which is compulsory for women to wear. So it's something that they have to put on their heads every single day. And now they are performatively removing it on the street or they're coming out without it. And so what you have now that's different than before is, first of all, more and more women willing to do this in a time of repression. But second of all, uh, they now see this as a form of, uh, of dis- civil disobedience that they can enact on a daily basis, mm. uh, whether or not the government is going to give in at this moment. They understand this as, as a longer fight that they're in. And so that level of determination uh, and the fact that it's spread around the country and that different generations are involved and even folks who come from religious and conservative backgrounds are also involved makes this feel very different. Mm, yeah. Let me play you our second voicemail. I've been crying every day for the past three weeks and I can't stop looking at my phone. It's devastating. I'm proud of everyone that's on the streets at the same time I just heartbroken by every post I see of kids that have been killed it feels really helpless all I can do is repost stories and go for demonstrations out here it's been very painful there is obviously so much emotion in that particular message. And Nargaz, uh, it, it just feels like this is so raw for people, uh, for Iranian Americans, you know, even though folks are far away. And I just wonder if you could talk about that, both for yourself and for the community in general, just how this is, this, this is more than an intellectual or political issue. Totally. I mean, you know, the, the, the violence that the state is using uh, and on so many teenagers, you know, there have been a lot of young young teenagers that have been killed. That brings up so much emotion, as you just heard. And, and I think um, many of us can really empathize with those feelings um, that we heard. And um, the anger and the... the it, it's raw emotion. And the fact that it's happening in some ways live on your screens and you have your phone with you all the time. And it's it's like we've all entered into a vortex over the past three to four weeks. Like, I can't remember what time it is. I can't remember what day, you know, the, these kinds of, um, these bursts of uprisings that, that we have in our world today that are so compressed over time and that they are against um, forces that feel so incredibly powerful and we can't figure out how we're going to get 
past them, those bring up so many feelings of frustration. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and, and I think that that is something that any community that has over the past few years seen their, their communities or communities that they empathize and sympathize with rise up in these hashtag uprisings that we have, yeah. I think really understands these emotions of like entering these vortexes of time. And then it's just like one after another and the, and the footage is raw, the violence is raw and you're just, you're it's it's you're bombarded with it and it and it's it, you have very little time to breathe and to sort of process before you see the next images of violence come onto your screen and that is very very difficult to, to deal with yeah the, the the vortex that you're talking about i think i think definitely resonates um and it actually leads us to our next voicemail we have time for one more uh this one touches a lot of the, a lot of the themes that you've been bringing up and it's it's actually for my sister so here it is my name is nahal I immigrated to the United States from Iran when I was six. Watching these women, these young girls lead this movement in Iran has been the most exhilarating and awe-inspiring thing to watch. Their courage has given me courage. As an immigrant and woman of color, I've often felt like my voice was not appreciated or wanted in this country. And I felt emboldened to speak up. Speaking up for them is like speaking up for myself. And at the start, a few weeks ago, I felt hesitant and worried. But the longer this goes on, the more I have this swelling, this feeling in my heart that their courage can't be ignored. It's obvious to the whole world, and I have so much hope for them and so much pride in being Iranian at this moment. Speaking up for them is like speaking up for myself. Nargaz, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, I think that um, what one of the reasons I think that this movement has been so inspiring for so many, first and foremost, I think for Iranians in general in Iran and around the world, but, but also beyond that is because the amount of bravery, as Nahal said, that you see on the streets from these women is, is it gives you a symbol of, uh, and a representation of resistance and of saying enough is enough. And I think that gives you pride in the fight that they're fighting. But it also, and I feel Nahal in this very much too, it also gives me a boldness of, because we all experience patriarchy, whether we're men, women, queer, well, it doesn't matter what we are. We, we all live in, in, in systems of patriarchy. And, and especially those of us now living in the United States, we're coming up against more and more laws that are trying to restrict our bodily autonomy. And, and what we see on the streets of Iran, I agree with Nahal, is, is, is inspiring because it also gives us a, a representation of what it means to just say, I will no longer comply. You know, and and we see that in action now, and that gives us a um, a, a representation of it, both here for us to imagine, and then for for us to be able to support the type of uprising that they're having in Iran around those issues. Nargis, you you mentioned earlier that there's hope in this. It's gonna, but it's gonna have to be that th- this is gonna be a long 
process. I mean, this movement, if it's going to have success, is going to be a long process. So what is next then in your mind? What 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 happens now? Um, we've had this moment in, in the streets. Um, we don't know how long that'll go on. What happens after that? Well, what I'm saying is that um, w- women and young people in Iran are trying to uh, build solidarity with, uh, for example, yesterday you had uh, some shop owners in different cities and towns around Iran start to close their door, their shops to go on some kind of strike. So if these, you know, if they start to build momentum with workers' movements, teachers' movements, yeah. uh, different uh, folks who are in the economy, and they begin to sort of organize around strikes, that can go one way. Obviously, the state has will try and will. Uh, Uh, continue to repress very heavily. And so what Iranians in Iran know very well is how to play this cat and mouse game with the state. The state represses and Iranians don't just cow down and say, okay, we we take that repression. They figure out strategies around it. And so I, you know, this is going to develop. I think one people keep asking, well, where's the leadership? And I actually think not having a leadership is a very strategic thing that is happening right now in Iran. Because again, when you're dealing with such a repressive system, they know that to go after the leaders is, is one of a very effective way to shut down movement. And they, they did that 13 years ago with the leaders of the Green Movement. Mm-hmm. And this movement so far is being very adamant on, on not having leadership, on, on it being a mass form of civil disobedience. So where that will go, we're, you know, I think we'll wait and see. And, and we have to wait and see because it's going to be in, in response to the dynamics that are on the ground. Mm-hmm. But it, just as the first speaker said, this time does feel very different. And, and um, especially the schoolgirls and the university students and the young people on the streets, they're, they're refusing to, um, to, to be intimidated yeah. this time around, yeah. it seems. We'll have to stop it there. Narges Bajogli is assistant professor of Middle East Studies at the School of Advanced International Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Narges, thank you so much. That was really wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me so much. And thank you for doing this show. It means a lot. Like Kusha said, we got more voicemails than we had to play. So we'll be posting them on our Instagram page. You can check them out at Notes with Kai. Special thanks to the Center for Iranian Diaspora Studies at San Francisco State University and Northwestern University's Iranian Students Association who helped us collect these messages. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. We are live each week, but you can also follow the show wherever you get your podcasts. We are on both Instagram and Twitter at Notes with Kai. That's Notes with K-A-I. And if you heard anything you want to chime in about this week, you can record a message and send it to us now from right on our website. That's at notesfromamerica.org. We particularly love new questions that we can follow up on for you. Our live engineer is Matthew Miranda. Theme music and mixing by Jared Paul. Our team also includes Regina Dehir, Karen Froman, Vanessa Handy, Rahima Nasa, Kusha Navadara, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. And I am Kai Wright. Thanks for spending this time with us. I'll talk to you next week. WNYC Studios is supported by Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. 
go to bluehost.com/wondersuite.